Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It is August 24th, 2020, and it is time, donks, for Morning Combat. Hi, everyone. I am one half of your hosting duo. My name is Luke Thomas. I am joined on the, well, the other side of the screen by the gentleman you know and love from CBS Sports and various Cumberland Farms gas stations rummaging through the trash can like a rabid raccoon. It is the one and only Brian Campbell. Mr. Campbell, how do you do, sir? Uh, full mass, Luke, if you're asking me uh, honestly right now, okay? Because uh, we've teased many, many an episode about that MK rocket ship, right? Get, you know, right? If you, if you got to, you know, let me search it, please. We did. We searched it, and uh, it's, it's launching, Luke. Uh, your big announcement Sunday night on social media, just the beginning. There are things that we can't even talk about right now, Luke, that will continue to make this show your announcement, the fever, the feeling that's inside of us uh, just grow and, and get larger. We're going to spread this like an STD on a college dorm room. This show's going places. And congratulations, Luke, on joining the Tiffany Network. Yeah, the uh, COVID like the dorms at UNC. That's how we're spreading. For folks who may have missed yesterday, it's pinned to the top of my Twitter, at News. if you want to see it. I put it on everywhere else, too. Um, here's the big news. MK is basically going full-time. I would put it that way. There's a lot of details still being worked out. There's a lot of plans we have in store. We're going to slow roll it to make sure that we do it right, but here's the big deal. This is the last Morning Combat show as a a Monday-only property. I've accepted a full-time position with CBS, Viacom CBS, and uh, so starting next week, Brian Campbell, I will no longer be able to tell you I have another job to get to. I will not have another job to get to. This will basically be the only thing that I do. I think it's pretty exciting. It's a long time coming. It's a, uh, we have to thank, by the way, the folks at Showtime, the folks at Malka, the folks at CBS for the belief in this project. And that's it, man. There's no other, there's no other show of faith I could give than to basically quit what else I was doing and devote all my attention to this. And those were good jobs I had with great people there. Um, but I just feel like this is an opportunity I couldn't turn down. Yeah, look, and congratulations, Luke. The big story is, uh, is you know, you, you went corporate. And, uh, and I'm proud of you for that, okay? You, you did it your way uh, a lot of years. Like myself, a lot of years behind the scenes of hard work put in, and it does pay off. So congrats on joining that team. And like you mentioned, you know, I'm fired up that uh, Viacom CBS as a whole has such a great commitment to combat, and we're a big part of that, and uh, bright things ahead. And you know I couldn't let this happen, this moment, without having something awkward or weird to just celebrate it. And luckily... Our good friend from Greece, yes, I'm talking about Christos Christophoros, has created another (laughs) goodie to celebrate this monumental moment. Jay, can you play the hits, please? Let's go to the videotape. Can I hear this or no? That's my stinger. (laughs) CBS Sports. Oh, he is so talented. It is scary. Yeah. 
uh, the eye, the eye. Luke has joined the eye, and the, and I, you couldn't hear that, Luke, because Jay is our producer. But uh, uh, WebScream even even tracked down some footage of uh, audio footage of Dana Dana White, your your one of your best friends in, in the MMA game, uh, kind of like announcing you into your CBS Sports role. So uh, great work there, well deserved, and yes. MK's coming, okay? MK going to get up in that ass. Uh, we don't know what it's going to look like, the full Monty of it, but uh, you no longer have a job. Jay's no longer going to speed us through these topics, hopefully, hopefully. And uh, we're, we're going to give it to the people here, okay? This is very so, exciting times. So let me just say this, BC. I think I speak on behalf of us, if I, uh, both of us rather, if I say thanks to all the viewers out there because, yes, CBS show commitment, Showtime show commitment, Malka has certainly made this thing look the way that we wanted it to so that everyone else could get on board. We thank all of them individually for all the contributions that they've made. But it just doesn't work if the people aren't interested. And the people were interested, and, and everyone saw it. And so they said, you know what, let's double down on it. They put all their chips into the center of the table. So thank you folks out there who have been watching since day one, who have provided the strong feedback, good or bad, who have stuck around with us through – you know, the pandemic shows, and it's just, it's been a crazy, crazy time, but it looks like full steam ahead. So I want to thank everybody for being a part of this operation, and it only I want to echo goes that. up from here. All those endless times of saying subscribe, like, saying, you know, we, don't, we didn't need it, to, or we wouldn't have a show anymore. We knew that we could go places. So look, all you people out there who did that, that's gangsta, okay? And we got special ways to thank you. More to come in the future. Indeed. Uh, wow, wow, Luke. I got to towel off. I'm so fired up, okay? This is great. It's a great time to be alive. All right. Well, with that in mind, we do have to do a show today besides navel-gazing. So without further ado, Brian Campbell, let's get this party started. First topic up, we go to Frankie Edgar over the weekend. He gets his bantamweight debut victory over Pedro Munoz. Now, it was a close fight. I think I scored it 3-2 to two for Munoz, but a 3-2 to two score, I think, for Edgar is very justifiable. I have no issue with it. My question for you, Brian Campbell, lead us off here, good sir, if you were, if you will, excuse me. How surprising was his win at 135 pounds? Very surprising. And I have to be honest, I have been ready to write off the great Frankie Edgar multiple times along the way, Luke. I've been a little bit more critical of some of the opportunities he got because of his big name. Yet when you go out there and put off performances like this and cut down in weight late in your career and make it not look like what it typically looks like, an absolute desperation move, look this great physically, have five-round stamina against an absolute killer in Pedro Munoz, all you can do is clap your hands. This was a vintage victory for Frankie Edgar, and I think one of those special ones that'll stand out on the back half of his already great resume. Yeah, I scored a 3-2 to two Munoz. It could have gone either way. It was Frankie's constant... Uh, volume and coming back after getting hurt and answering with big shots against Munoz just stalking him and trying to land that big one yet here's the deal and we knew this coming in Frankie Edgar won this fight is more than likely going to be put into slot for a title shot not next that seems to be Aljo based on Dana White's comments late Saturday which is great news for all of us but Frankie's probably going to end up getting a shot and Luke people don't do what he's doing right now Go this deep into their 30s and be relevant in this many uh, divisions as an instant title contender. He already won a title at lightweight way over his head in fighting uh, you know, as the smaller, quicker guy. He went to the title level three times at featherweight and came oh so close. But to come back and do this against a legit guy who was on the verge of uh, cracking that title shell himself, that says a lot exactly about who he is, the shape he gets into, the commitment, and really the evolution, Luke. He's starting to get into 
you know, this almost uh, Captain America, Randy Couture part of his career where it's like, I don't want to put limits on what he can do. That was a strong-ass performance, and he had to do it over five hard rounds. This probably won't get the love it deserves at the end of the year for things like fight of the year discussion, but this was an excellent fight, and a lot of that was Frankie Edgar just, uh, just proving us wrong by being great. Okay, so here's the, the initial question I asked was, how surprising was it that he won at bantamweight? And I think everyone was wrong before the fight, and now they're doubling down on their mistake. And here's how I know I, 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 I feel very confident in saying this. Uh, my show, The Luke Thomas Show on Sirius XM, is ending. But on Friday, and the podcast for this version is available for free and worldwide. By all means, do not take my word for it. Go double-check what I am saying. I spent 30 minutes on Friday saying the odds for this fight, if you had seen them previously... They had Frankie as like a plus 230 underdog. In other words, a pretty substantial underdog. I did not understand that at all. I thought everybody was reading this room wrong. Here's what basically was happening before the fight. People were saying, well, I don't like Frankie's long-term prospects at 135 all that much. And then using that to assign value to his opportunity against Munoz and saying he didn't have much of one. They're right that I don't think he has much of a chance at getting a title at 135 or beating the very, very elite. But they were so wrong about his matchup against Munoz. That was a favorable matchup for Frankie against uh, uh, Munoz. I mean, yes, did Frankie Edgar look really bad against the Korean zombie? Yes, he did. But number one, he was already going down to 135, inadvisably changed course on short notice on weight classes and opponent, flew to South Korea and got housed. Now, how good is uh, the Korean zombie? We haven't seen him against Max Holloway or against uh, Volkanovski, but it appears to me that outside of those two, he probably has a case as the best 145, or certainly with his boxing at this point, he is a force to be reckoned with. So to me, while that was a very, very bad showing for Frankie, it was not emblematic of who he was. And while Max Holloway had beaten Frankie uh, unanimously and by uh, virtually every round, if you go and look at the fights, the rounds themselves, they were actually pretty close. People were burying this guy Way too early. Pedro Munoz does not necessarily do all that well with a guy like Frankie who can show all that movement and fakes and feints and, and, and certainly the, the ability to just sort of stay on his horse from a motion standpoint. Now, of course, Munoz did really well. I thought he took three rounds to two. The leg kicking seemed to me to be a big difference, but not for the judges in attendance, and that's okay. Here's my point, though. Everyone is doubling down, being like, oh, my God, he's back, blah, blah, blah. No. No, he never left. Now, don't use this victory in the opposite way you were viewing it before. This victory is nice. It proves he belongs in the top 10. That should not be surprising to you. He was a title holder at 145, excuse, 155. He was a consummate title contender at 145. At 135, he is going to be probably somewhere in that top five until his chin can no longer take it, which we're not there yet. But this idea that he's going to go in there and beat Peter Yan or you know the very, very best of that division, maybe he will. I don't like his chances long-term to win a title. I could see a scenario where he might even become the number one contender. But I don't think 135 is the refuge that 145 wasn't. And so I think what's happening here is people totally discounted him very wrongly to begin with. Then he shocks them in this because they had the wrong impression. And now they want to double down and say, oh, no, 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 this guy is... He's going to go places. Don't misunderstand me. The first fighter to win fight of the night across three weight classes, Frankie Edgar is special. He is very, very special. But if you got it wrong to begin with, don't double down on the mistake and then overstate his chances at 135. Take it fight by fight. At 38 years old, the only other person in that division his, his age is Rafael Sunsau, and you can see there's a changing of the guard, BC. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I don't want to sit here and act like I believe even off this great win that he's deserving of a title shot. You just know how UFC operates. The last two Bantamweight title shots, despite this division being overflowing with great young talent, has been Dominic Cruz coming off of a loss in a multi-year layoff and Jose Aldo coming off of two losses. So at the very least, Frankie Edgar beat a real badass top five guy and looked really good doing so. So that justifies it a little more. Do I believe he can win a title and be the first three division or two? I'm sorry, he would be a two division champion. Um, Yeah, no, I got to pump the brakes on there. This division is all killer. But at the very least, Luke, um, you know, when I go to predict this fight and I'm looking like, sorry, Frankie, I love you, but you're probably gonna get stopped here. For him to be able to go through that and take away the fear we had from the Ortega knockout loss, from the Korean zombie one you mentioned, and again, to go down and wait at this age and be forced to go five rounds at the championship level. Luke, that, that's a pretty special performance there. No, there's no, again, I don't want to, I don't want to overstate, I don't want to understate. You got to get the Goldilocks on this one just right. He is very, very credible as a threat at 135 pounds. I think my, my only reservation is. When people really get the impression of him wrong heading into it, I mean, Pedro Munoz hits hard, but he's sort of a single shot kind of guy. You saw that there a little bit. And Frankie did a really good job with those takedowns, jumping to the other side to not get guillotined. He really did a good, great job there as well. I was like, dude, this, this one's, I'm not saying it's tailor made for him, but I, I, the way I think I said it on Friday was there's plenty of good reason to think Frankie Edgar can win this. This is not, uh, this is not some like lamb to the slaughter kind of operation. It's just. Pedro Munoz got outclassed by Aljamain Sterling, and I don't think Pedro Munoz can beat Cody Garbrandt, or we'll see, maybe he can beat Cody Garbrandt. Well, he did, actually. Let me back up a step there. But he beat a bad version of Cody Garbrandt. Can he beat this version? I guess we will see. Corey Sandhagen, Marlon Marais, I don't know. It's a tough road to hoe for him at 135 pounds. So sensational win. This guy is the Iron Man at 38. By the way, you pointed out, I retweeted you on Friday, he looked shredded. On the scales at 135, dude, he's there to he's there to 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 be a competitor. Just pump the brakes on the title future opportunities outside of what his name value is. There's still, a t- as Dana White said, a ton of work to do. So phenomenal first start, but you should not be surprised. Well, Don't bury look, the guy just really, yet. Is there really a ton of work to do? I mean, this pretty much you know, could have given him a title shot here. And again, Dana got it right by really? putting Aljo in really there. Really over Sterling? Really? No, I'm not telling you he's getting the next one. Aljo's getting it, and that's the right move by Dana. But if you don't think they might call Frankie next for the winner of that, um, I don't, you know, I don't know if I'd favor him. You know, like you're saying, I, I wouldn't love his chances against either of those guys. Yet at the same time, for him to do this against Munoz, who is no slouch, I don't think you can, you can, I mean, don't overcorrect too far, Luke. All right. I'm not. I'm just I, I just I just saw people being like, yeah, he's got no chance. Then he goes in there and does what I thought was pretty doable for him. And now they're like, oh, my God, here comes Frankie. He's the next coming of 135 pound Christ. He's not that there's there's very, very tough guys at the top of that division. And sorry, you could make a very credible case that Munoz should have won that fight. So, again, to me, it's fine. I'm just fine. saying it's he's not going to have to go through all those guys. Oh, you're he's saying because of his gonna name. probably going to have to go through one more. You're saying and because of his name. And that one will be a champion. Yeah, you know? okay. That's probably true. So let's say he beats, I don't know, the winner of Sandhagen and Marais. Probably. Probably he will get it. But at that point, if you beat the winner of, of Sandhagen and Marais, you probably do deserve a title shot. That would be a win over a top five guy in Pedro Munoz and a win over the number one and number, I'm looking at it here, four guy 
At that point, you have Garbrandt going down a weight class. Sterling would give you the next one over there against Jan. You'd be that guy. I would be totally okay with that. So that's not a problem for me. One more question about this, BC. A little bit of a curveball for you. Can Frankie Edgar make flyweight? Oh, stop that. Stop that crap. Come on. Can he stop make flyweight? Uh, you know, maybe on the on the can TJ Dillashaw make flyweight and then completely look like a shell of himself? Um, yeah, I don't know if he can do it on a one-off night to, to make you happy, Luke. But I wanted to counter your special trick question by saying, you know, should he have been in this division all along? Who yes. would he be right now if he was Bantamweight Frankie Edgar from the beginning? Would he have had, you know, a dominant cruise-like control of the division for a while before so, the injury? You ready for this? It's, you ready for it's this? It's very was... interesting because it was weird to see him as the taller, longer fighter and, and sort of the naturally bigger guy. We, that's never happened. So, you know what's so funny about this? Five years ago, before the Luke Thomas show even existed, I was on Sirius XM and live on the air, we got a call from Mike Hen- uh, Mark Henry. We did not call him. We did not solicit him. He was just listening and then called in from his car. And he told us at the time that he wanted Frankie to go to 135 then. Then he wanted him to go. This was a choice he could have made a long, long time ago. And I got to tell you, BC, if he was fighting against the Dillashaws back then or even the Dominic Cruises back then, I don't know if he would have won, but probably, right? He'd probably be a two-weight world champion versus a guy who was a decorated champion and then obviously has been a, a top perennial contender the rest of his time. It's not like he's been some slouch, but that extra hurdle that Jose Aldo denied him, I, I don't know that those other guys would have. Very fair, and I, I don't want to end the Frankie Love Fest, even though uh, Jay is so deep in my ear. Um, he won the first title like eight years ago. MMA was a lot different then. Credit to the constant evolution, and even at this age, to be able to have that speed to be able to keep up like this. A, a uh, Look, you got to love the guy. Again, he's got that Captain America-like uh, where you just got to love him. Although a bit of an anti-vaxxer, but a different story for a different time. All right, we go on to Luke, point number I, you two. You know, I'm sorry. You're poli- you, know, you, can, you, can sh- you can take your politics, lift up that half of your beard, and stick them right under there. Okay, I'm, just, I'm just teasing. It's a sensational win. He should be very proud of himself. I mean that with true sincerity. And, and I'm glad that people have a, again, some people are making the mistake of overstating things. But at least now, I would say we have a much more accurate read on what he'll do at 135 than we did on Friday. I think that's a pretty fair statement to make. Fair. Okay. With that in mind, we go to point number two. Vadim Nemkov, buddy. This was another thing we, t- we warned everybody about, man. Now, some people picked Bader, and I raised, put my hand in the air. I thought Bader might get it done when it was all, you know, time to tally it up. But Vadim Nemkov was easily the toughest guy that Ryan Bader had faced heading into Friday night. And sure enough, that proved to be a very, very true assessment and warning. He absolutely demolishes Ryan Bader, BC, stopping him inside of two rounds. And that referee, Kerry Hatley, there's some debate over the stoppage. I don't need to rehash it. But suffice to say, I think you'd probably agree with this no matter what side of that debate you're on. He gave Ryan Bader every possible opportunity to get out of that mess, and Vadim Nemkov would not let him. That dude is a beast. So the question for you, BC, is as follows. Where in your mind does Vadim Nemkov rank among all light heavyweights in any organization worldwide? Uh, top five. Top five is a safe answer. I can't go anything further than that. I'd have to see him against the, you know, the, the top two or three, four guys in UFC. The run he's had coming in, you know, I wasn't fully woke to it. We talked about it last week. I'm like, you know, I remember this guy. I saw him beat McGarry. Well, he put together, you know, four wins under Bellator before this fight, but three against former champions in a row and finished all three of them. So that was the wake-up call that he was something. Credit to you for 
kind of predicting this during last week's show and saying people need to wake up to this. The timing was funny, right? Ryan Bader comes on uh, CBS Sports HQ with me. He's talked to other outlets last week and is like, I'm the best light heavyweight in the world, right? You know, DC's gone. John Jones is gone. It is me. And I think at that point, uh, I, I didn't want to argue with him. I thought, you know, he might very well be. Look at the run Bader has been on. But, you know, you do have to go look back and say it had been three years since Bader had fought at light heavyweight when he won the championship by split decision over Phil Davis in his debut. He defended it once, and then he went into, you know, the heavyweight Grand Prix, and we never saw him again. So there is there were sort of legitimate questions coming in that at 37, could Bader cut back down to 205 and be the same guy? But I don't think there's excuses built in on that, on how this performance played out. Vadim Nemkov, like, this was a monster wake-up call. He's at worst right there at the, at the edge of the top five of light heavyweights in the world. And he has a chance to be a force for Bellator because he, he finished Ryan Bader with absolute ease. And it's not that we hadn't seen Bader get knocked out before. But, Luke, we hadn't seen this confident, a well-rounded version of Bader as he became. That heavyweight Grand Prix, and you can argue the, the competition he fought or whatever, but he, he learned about himself in that. He grew. His boxing came to an all-new level where it was a weapon on par with his wrestling. We saw a complete fighter go in there, and Nemkov just take the wheels off and dismantle him. So shout-out to this young kid who's now taking Storm uh, – you know, a little bit of payback, by the way, because he's Fedor's boy. And, of course, Ryan Bader knocked out Fedor in dis- disastrous fashion to win that heavyweight championship. So a little bit of backdoor Sambo revenge. Um, yeah, I-, I-, I love this guy. Let me buy some stock on here, Luke. Uh, did you say you didn't want to unwrap the Kerry Hartley thing? Because I'm wondering, Luke, I'm a little worried about you. You're getting a little soft in all these stoppages. Okay, on Friday night, I hated it. I'll just be candidly, I hated it. Then I thought about it some more and rewatched it a few times, and I was like, yeah, okay, I don't hate it nearly as much as I did before. I mean, here's why I think you could have stopped it twice. One, when he first went down, it looked to me like a moment he was not really with it, and then he gets kind of hammer-fisted back into some sort of motion. The idea that he was in perpetual motion, I think, is overstated. Uh, and then the second time he gets knocked down, you could have called it. Waiting for him to just go limp as he races away from a guy he can't even look at. I, I grant that that gives it some, again, it gives it total cleanliness. But the problem is it doesn't do much for, um, you, you, he was never meaningfully in that contest. You get dropped twice with a guy like that on you. And especially if you kind of went limp for a second the first time, I don't know why it needs to continue. So I don't think it's an egregious stoppage as I did the fr- Friday night. I even said as much on Saturday but I, 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 this idea of being like, oh, it was the perfect stoppage. Perfect if what you're waiting for is zero, um, zero controversy about whether he was going to be able to continue, right? If you want absolutely no doubt about it, yes, fine. To me, I don't think we necessarily need to wait that long. I just think there's unwritten rules. Like in baseball, there's the unwritten tie goes to the runner. Everyone's got a different strike zone. And MMA... You let the champion get his ass kicked a little bit longer to see if he bounces back. All right, Luke? And all I need right now is Josh Rosenthal, a tattoo artist, and an ounce of weed, and the four or five of us can sit (laughs) down, and I can reteach you about the uh, Lesnar-Carwin lack of a stoppage. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. Lesnar-Carwin is one of my favorite fights. I love it. I love it. I love that fight. So I was fine with that stoppage, but let me throw that back to you. How good is Nemkov? What do you get in the feel here? Uh, here's the thing. I think if you, okay, worst case scenario, worst case scenario, I think he beats everyone in the UFC from 11 to 15. 
Like that's the that's the yeah. least you can say about him. Now from there it's pretty debatable, right? Because you've got some guys on the come up. We got two more coming up this weekend. We'll talk about them later. Uh, Alexander Rakic, he kind of fell short a little bit against Uzdemir, but he is just an absolute monster in that division. I think he's ranked inside the outside the top five in the top ten. That'd be an interesting fight for Nemkov. Certainly, I wouldn't declare that Rakic couldn't beat him. I want to be very careful about that. So I think if you wanted to say worst case scenario, he's top ten. Uh, in your view, I think that's probably the most charitable you could put him is in, right inside that top five, but being very careful. So I'm going to say somewhere from five to eight to me is probably where he sits right now. That doesn't mean he couldn't beat anyone above that. He probably could. I just think, you know, pumping the brakes a little bit on the unknowns here from Nemkov, uh, that, that's, you know, it's worth it to us. You know, what's kind of funny to me, though, the whole thing is I don't, I, I'm certainly no expert in Russian society, but to me, you know, it's, to, to see Fedor uh, backing this guy, who was the combat sambo, four-time combat sambo world champion in Nemkov, I think that Fedor, you know, who's like a very orthodox Christian and from sort of the uh, you know, historic school, but sort of from a more um, when you associate where people are from in Russia, he's sort of from that kind of that kind of population. I, I always feel like there's been an uneasy alliance between people from that part of the country and then those absolute just killers all the way through from Dagestan and Chechnya and everything else. There's a big cultural divide there, if not even just a religious one. It's interesting to, that, that those guys have sort of taken over as the idea that we have about like what it means to be a top Russian fighter. And I don't think that should change. And again, this is sort of a smaller point of I'm just trying to make. But this guy, uh, Vadim Nemkov, sort of from Fedor's, I think, hometown, from his team, it seems to me like Fedor's trying to like dub this guy the next big Russian that we should all care about. And maybe we should. Maybe he actually is that kind of guy. It's just sort of interesting to see all the different parts of Russia have different uh, output in terms of talent as it relates to combat sports. And this part of it has been forgotten for a long time. Um, but here he comes, man. He is a special, special guy. He is young. He is hungry. He is, he is clever. He is smart. He is athletic. He is going to be a handful. I don't think Corey Anderson or Leota has, has a chance with this guy. All right, two things real quick here. Number one, if we get a chance to ever interview Vadim Nemkov, please don't ask him his favorite Russian uh, uh, books to read like you did when you sabotaged my favorite. Fedor wouldn't give me anything, right dude. I was that. grasping at straws. Number two, uh, Luke, uh, put yourself in Scott Coker's shoes. I think this is an important topic right here, real quick. You got a rising potential stud in Nemkov. You got a decently fun division at light heavyweight because Corey Anderson just flew in. You got Machida. You got uh, uh, Musasi. You got some names you could play with, move around from other divisions. Do you give Bader a second chance? Do you run this back? Or is it just is it just better off to say, hey, Bader, man, why don't you be the face of our heavyweight division? Let's find out who this kid is. Josh Thompson has, to me, been such a great addition to that Bellator commentary booth. I find him to be really, really credible as a speaker. He is smart. He knows what he's looking at. He and Big John, obviously, because they do a podcast together, they have great chemistry. He doesn't suffer Mike Goldberg very <laughs> very well either. So, like, he really is turning into a wonderful commentator. And so he noted, listen, Bader, 38 years old, he's way faster, way stronger, way better than these heavyweights. Go ply your trade up there it's a way to sort of preserve your status as an elite rather than you know this this guy in Nemkov man he's at a different level right now different age different stage of his career let him have light heavyweight you go to heavyweight I think that's the right call wow Corey Anderson it's gonna be a fun fight can't wait can't wait all right let's go to this so over the weekend on days in 
Alexander Povetkin was, what do you want to say? He was losing quite badly to Dillian White, having been knocked down not once, but twice in Eddie Hearn's backyard. It was Eddie Hearn is the new Dada 5000, it turns out, just a lot richer and whiter. Nevertheless, they're in the backyard of Eddie Hearn, and it looked pretty good on TV, if I can just be honest for a moment. Povetkin, it was going poorly, BC. Not terribly, but pretty bad. And then out of nowhere, he fakes a jab, he gets White to slip, he pulls his own right hand back, and then he gives, I think, a left uppercut underneath the arm of Dillian White, sends him to the land of wind and ghosts. What did this win show you about a 40-year-old Alexander Povetkin? What does he get with it? Well, look, he gets a mandatory shot at, at Tyson Fury for that WBC title. Although, let, let's put everything on the table. Eddie Hearn jumped at that microphone afterwards to remind us all that Dillian White smartly had a rematch clause built in there. I don't know what the WBC rules are on this, and obviously uh, history tells you they'll bend it if they have to. But, uh, you know, you could be seeing this fight a second time with the idea that that interim WBC title, which all that title really is, is it gives you the mandatory next shot. So they could do this a second time for the chance to face Tyson Fury. I'm not sure how that's all going to work out. But this was monster. This was the cherry on top for Povetkin. He's had a great career. He's also had uh, failed drug tests and a lot of meldonium in his system. But for a guy who was an Olympic gold medalist and was so close to being truly elite in the heavyweight division for so long, he held that secondary bastardized version of of the WBA title years ago. He went up there and tried his best against Vladimir Klitschko and got knocked out. We'd seen him go in there just recently against AJ and try his best and got knocked out. But he's always been a dangerous threat. He's never, though despite having a really good career and a lot of wins against names you know, have that one defining victory. It's, one, it's, a, it's a wonder if this becomes that and if this ends up lifting him back into one more title opportunity. At the very least, Luke, separate from Povetkin, this was a special ending to a fight because it reminded you this dirty, filthy whore of a sport that we love. And I know that's harsh. But, you know, boxing, boxing can be full of shit at times. And, uh, and, but every once in a while, it reminds you why we freaking love it. And this was an elite heavyweight fight against two guys with something real at stake. And Povetkin down on the cards just uncorks a left uppercut from, you know, beyond the left field fence and sends our guy Dillian White to hell. Uh, that's spectacular. That's, that's why we watch. And uh, I loved seeing that. I love what this can do for Povetkin because, let's be honest, he might have retired after this had he lost. He was on his way to be losing against a very tough out in in Dillian White, and he saves it all with one punch. And um, if it just leads to big money in a rematch with White with that same stipulation at play, whatever, that's fine. But this resurrects what has been a, a pretty darn good career, never great, and this was a great win. So to me, I, I, I go back to, uh, you know, last weekend when we had uh, Jackson Mariñez and uh, old Roly Romero, and we both thought that it was a wide, pretty wide margin for Mariñez, and then he somehow inexplicably loses. Now, not to rehash that debate, but it just goes to show in boxing, sometimes the promoter's favorite son, even when they're not supposed to, they get kind of the nod. And at 40 years of age, for Povetkin, yes, you know, you can be a lot older in the heavyweight division, even the current version of it in boxing, which is better than it has been in some time. You know, still, that's not a great, that's not an advantageous place to be. But power is the last thing to go. And to borrow from Teddy Atlas, it's, in this case, 36 minutes to make your life fair. And he found a way to do it. Now, you could argue that the fairness would really be that, you know, Dillian White, excuse me as I kick my camera again, Dillian White deserved the win here. Um, 
because he was the better guy. But I guess we'll get another shot at it if they exercise the immediate rematch. I'm only pointing out it was just such brutality. It was a reminder of what can happen in the fight game um, to just, uh, especially at heavyweight, where one punch can end it all in an instant. You cannot blink. And for a guy to be on the canvas twice and come back like that, even at 40 years of age, to me, what it showed is when you get a little bit older like that as an athlete, you don't have that same kind of hunger anymore to sort of fight back out of a bad spot. He had been trying to land that punch a couple of times previously, and he finally found a home for it. So between the sort of promotional, I'm not going to call them machinations, but just the promotional realities there in play with Matchroom and Dillian White, between you know sort of his age and this sort of bit of a last stand and this, this weird pandemic, to go in there and put in a thunderous performance like that, it was not only hugely entertaining for the audience, but a reminder also, heavyweight boxing is still pretty good, even when you're not talking about the big three, big three and a half, if you want to include Andy Ruiz. It is an exciting division right now. It's a ton of fun. I can't wait to see what they do next. So do you, if you had to bet, BC, do you bet they do the white rematch, or do you bet he gets Tyson Fury next? Uh, you know, it, 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 it probably more likely they do the rematch. We'd have to see the, spe- the specificities and the contract with the WBC does to respond if they can still keep the mandatory thing at stake in the rematch. Hopefully Povetkin gets paid, you know, big to come back and do it again. I just want to do that double shout out that you did off the start to, to Eddie Hearn. Uh, look, promoters are what they are, Luke, and, and they always feel like, uh, you know, a little grimy in some ways. This guy just makes me want to give my wallet to him and say, yeah, I'll buy that used car that's missing three of the four tires because uh, he may have won the, uh, the the quarantine with that fight camp series uh, four times in his garden out back. Uh, it looked spectacular. The fights were fun. This card was the crown jewel of that with two really good fights atop the marquee, and it was a, a pay-per-view over in England, rightfully so. But uh, shout out to the, the look and feel that they gave. Did you did you, did you hear that, that, that epic, thunderous music? music they would play just as the fighters were getting announced i felt like it was like uh old school gladiators or something it was great well you know the sweet carolina i could have done without but dillian white's combination of jaws and then back in black i gotta tell you that's a hell of a combo he he rocked that one it was awesome and i gotta say also the fireworks in the backyard i mean we always talk about the ufc sometimes Yes, they're in the apex, and that has a certain uh, distinguishable feel. But when they're in a normal situation, and they're in Omaha one day, and Washington, D.C. the next, and Hartford, Connecticut the third, the arena never really looks any different from the inside. The B-roll outside always looks pretty different, but never from the inside. Credit to, I will give credit to Eddie Hearn, too. It was a little bit different. They kept up good uh, safety protocol, it seemed, as well. And... Um, it, 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 it had somebody was trying to be ambitious and do something different. And Eddie Hearn, I think, in general, succeeded. Now, one more note about this card, BC. I know you were hot and bothered by it. I didn't like it as much as you did, but I certainly give it respect. Katie Taylor uh, retains her advantage, you want to say, over uh, Delphine Pursoon. I got to say this about Pursoon. I did not see their first fight, BC. I saw this one. God, she is an animal. She does not have nearly the technical ability of Katie Taylor, but she doesn't, well, she does, she does need it to win, but she was all over her like white on rice. She could not be stopped. Why did you like this fight so much? It was good, but you really seemed to respond to it. 
Well, look, you just named the missing part of that. You were like, I didn't see their first one. I didn't really care about the, this series until I saw their first one, and I was ringside at Madison Square Garden in April 2019, right before that AJ uh, upset against Andy Ruiz. This was a legitimate fight of the year contender that time because uh, I try not to, you know, on this show, I know we can kind of say what we want, but I try not to call, you know, pro female athletes names like rabid raccoons, but that's the freaking style Delphine Pursum brings out there. Just squares up, walks into oncoming traffic, and is like, my backbone, my fighting soul is grungier and 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 more crazy than you are, and I'm going to pour it all over you. And Luke, um, that's why I was excited about this, because Katie Taylor, along with Clarissa Shields, really is the face of women's boxing, and she's a hero in Ireland, and she has all four lightweight titles, and there's a lot of talks about making some really fun fights if we can get a lot of these women to get closer in weight uh, against some of the names that we know. But she had to get by this test and pursuit and show us that she really is of that ilk, that pound-for-pound queen ilk against a woman who's just determined. And let's pour pour them all out for pursuit here, Luke. Her commitment is like, um, uh, you know, is like a war camp survivor level. Like, I mean, she just has a mindset that I am going to get through no matter what. And yet Katie Taylor made the adjustments this time around, kept her at distance more, didn't get swallowed up from the pressure. Yeah, she had that big knot on her forehead and she got banged around a little bit, but this was both a great win for Taylor another performance-wise, you need to see this this Belgian cop, Delphine Pursue, and every time she fights, she's going to run through your TV screen. And uh, shout-out to women's boxing. This was a big fight. This was the hardcore fight of the weekend, and holy crap did it deliver, Luke. I hope you'll allow yourself, okay? Suffrage is a real thing. I hope you'll allow yourself to appreciate women's boxing. I like women's boxing. The only thing I don't like is the two-minute rounds. Surely this has to change. This is not fair to them. I don't think it's great. The action... Granted, these two had good action because they're talented, but to me it feels like that's not the right way with the women's sport to be conducted. Are you with me on that? I agree with you on that. I agree with you. And I didn't mean to paint you as a picture of a guy who's saying, hey, make me a sandwich and then I'll watch your fight, okay? All right. No, no, no. I just missed the first one because I was mostly covering MMA at the time. I just didn't have a chance to really go back and take a look at it. Well, welcome to boxing, Luke. Thank you. Yeah, it's great. Uh, Last last thing I'll say about this, because Jay wants us to move on because Jay also hates women. Jay was like, who do we get to honor kill when this is over? I'm like, Jay, we don't do that in this sport. But the the point I would want to make here is... Uh, did you see their, uh, their show of sportsmanship afterwards? They had this yeah. scenario where they were standing six feet apart and they were both answering questions from the press at the same time. And Delphine was like, you know what? It was kind of hard for me to like, eat and maintain this weight class. And I got to say, Katie Taylor, this is her weight class. She belongs here. She's the best here. And uh, she deserved to win. And Katie looked almost... Not surprised, but like honored that her opponent would say that. Listen, we like the trash talk. We like the throwing of the chairs. And if you're Jake Shields, the shot putting of the Starbucks's. But sometimes it's nice to see two absolute animals also give the other, you know, the old uh, collegial salute at the same time. I really Yeah, there's room for class. And by the way, Pursuant had a case in that first fight. I thought she won and she said it as much. But I like that she said, look, in this rematch, it was Katie's night. And, uh, you know, I, I respect that. All right, so we move on now to point number four. Sort of a broader one, BC. I'd like you to go first. I'm in a very generous mood, BC. I want you to go first on these. So let's talk about it. UFC's heavyweight and light heavyweight division is in flux. So DC appears to be out. We haven't really had it confirmed, confirmed, but it certainly appears that way. Gustafson has moved up, didn't go all that great, but now John Jones, it appears, is going to move up. And yet at the same time, we now have a UFC light heavyweight title fight. We're going to have Dominic Reyes take on Jan Blahovich on the, I think that's going to be the co-main event to Adesanya and Costa UFC 253. So here's the question, BC. In six months, how have these two divisions 
reordered themselves. Uh, uh, monstrously. Think about this. The heavyweight division uh, just added a ton of celebrity by bringing John Jones up there. And now that we have two strong pillars in Stipe and Francis, and we don't know whose future of the division it will be, and you just drop John in there. Look, as we talked about last week in the fallout of that trilogy fight, you are going to make some fun-ass blockbuster fights. And just like in boxing, right? It's more important in boxing for the heavyweight division to matter from the standpoint of reaching the crossovers and the casuals. Look, you give MMA and you UFC credit. They haven't needed to rely on that all the time. The light heavyweight division for a long time was that sexy celebrity division. But it's still... You know, the whole idea, I know it's corny of baddest man on the planet. You still want your heavyweight division to be stocked with legitimate historic guys. We have that. But to flip the script on 205, we, we've been saying for a long time, John needed to go so that we can find out what we have. It's kind of an exciting group that's been left behind. Reyes Blahovic is a fun fight. We got Maheta coming back against, uh, against Grover. Uh, uh, to sh- Glover. Grover. Good God. Grover. Uh, Glover Teixeira. And oh, by the way, Rumble Johnson just announced that he's going to enter the USADA pool. And he has chosen 205 over heavyweight as his uh, you know first comeback division. Uh, business picking up in a big way. And, uh, you know, it was John's choice. I'm sure he got an opportunity to rematch Reyes. I'm sure UFC would have preferred that he had done that so that, look, if he lost, he could really do the job to Reyes and anoint him as the next big thing. But I'm a little bit more excited to find out what we have here, Luke. Look, Reyes Blahowicz, tough fight. I got to pick Reyes in there. But if Maheta can get through Grover, so to speak... I am like licking my chops at the idea of what a Dom Reyes versus Tiago Santos fight could look like for future control of this division, knowing full well that that boogeyman Rubble Johnson is lingering. Uh, This is good news for UFC in both divisions across the board. And Luke, I've been watching a little bit of tape. I I feel like if he can bounce back and it's not, it's not saying, you know, it's automatic because of the leg injuries he suffered against Bones Jones. But if Maheta can come back, he is at a level of confidence, savagery, and technique all coming together at the right time in his mid to late thirties. Dude, he might be the last man standing. You can't tell me deep in your heart. I know you love some Dom Reyes, but that guy takes souls. That's his attempt. I went back and watched that Jones fight, man. That's some courageous shit in there. I mean, that this guy's for real. Uh, this ain't an empty cupboard at 205. It's going to get fun. No, I mean, here's the, there's two kinds of reorganization in divisions when people leave or move up in weight or whatever you want to call it. And fans typically only respond to one of them, which is, Let's say somebody exciting leaves a division and then moves up to the next one, and they're like Frankie Edgar in this case. Now we know immediately a contender. Your mind begins to race. Well, what about this one versus that and that and that? You're like, what a great immediate addition. Sometimes you get the short-term immediate addition, and John Jones provides that, at least we think on some level, at 265 pounds. Now, we don't really know exactly who he's going to fight. I'm being told that Francis is going to get the next one. That's not officially signed, but that's what his team has been told. So we'll have to see how that plays out. But there's a second kind of reorganization, which is what happens when there's an absence. Think about St. Pierre when he first left welterweight. Now you had Hendricks there and you had Lawler there and Lawler took over for a time. My point being is it takes a second, not merely for someone to claim the spot that he previously had, but for the division to fully reorder itself. Because then you got what you have now, which is Kamaru, and we'll see what happens with Tyron, but Colby is there, and Jorge has ascended, and here comes Leon Edwards on some point. We'll see how that goes. My point being is, 
if you look at light heavyweight now, I agree with you. I like the Tiago Santos Glover Teixeira fight. I don't know who's fighting Elmo or Rosita, but I guess we'll find out on Sesame Street next season. I also like this fight at UFC 253. <laughs> I like this fight at UFC 253 a lot. So to me, I'm with you. There's a lot to enjoy. Anthony Smith versus Alexander Rakic, which we'll talk about in a second. But also, have a little patience. In six months to a year's time, you have no idea what Yuri Prohachka might end up doing or where Nikita Krilov might be. Or there's so many. Anthony Rumble Johnson. A year ago, raise your hand out there if you're watching this, if you had heard of Vadim Nemkov. The hardest of the hardcore can say yes, but most people had. Most people still haven't seen that fight against Ryan Bader. And this is my point. You just got to give it a little bit of time. So my, my, my plea to fans out there is enjoy the short-term benefits of John Jones moving up to heavyweight because that you can enjoy that right away. On the other hand, even if you don't like light heavyweight, and I think you should, give it a six months to a year. I guarantee you in that time, it's going to be a lot different than it is today. And there's going to be new faces, new rivalries, new matchups that are absolutely going to capture your interest. By the way, Stylebender might go up there or he might go fight John at heavyweight. Who knows? Woo-hoo. A lot of different pieces of the puzzle there. Yeah, Luke, let me, let me ask you this. We like doing stupid questions like this. Who's, who, who are the betting? Who do you think the betting odds should be leaning towards in both divisions to be the last man standing in a year when, when all these, you know, I don't know, six months to a year and a half, whatever. You know, who are you favoring? Who are you feeling like will be the definitive champion? I mean, look, it doesn't always go that way where we, we, we find out who's the guy and then that guy defends three or four times. Sometimes we just keep handing the belt off. And if you're telling me right now we end up with a Dom reyes Maheta trilogy or something like that could be really great for the division. Who do you think's coming out of both of them, though, when it's all said and done? That's a tough one. I'm going to say, and again, predicting like well, who can win a fight is hard, much less who's going to be the title holder in a year. So I'll go with Dom Reyes at 205, but to me that one is, I'm not going to say wide open, but that's a tough one. That's a very tough division to claim in John's absence. And at heavyweight... Say it. Say it, Luke. Big Francis. Say it. Big Francis. I'm going to go Big Francis. That's a leap of faith. I am making a judgment there based on information we don't have. We'll but see, I, just like I got, me creeping up behind you in a bar one day, Luke, and I get that <laughs> thing in there. We'll see, because I'm sorry, I'm going to say it. I said it before, I'll say it once more. I'm favoring John Jones against every single heavyweight until I see differently. I, okay. I think it's his. It's going to be fun to watch, because I, I think it's his time. It is. All right, so let's, let's move on to our last and final point here for the five pieces of the rundown. Let's talk about some of the weekend's best fights. We'll start here. Anthony Smith back in action against Alexander Rakic. We'll talk about some boxing fights, too, but let's go to this one first. Very quickly, B.C., This is the main event for the card coming up on Saturday. I love this fight. You know, Anthony Smith, I think, took a bad beating against Glover, but I talked to him last week. He says he's in, he does, he feels fine. He's been training hard. The checkups have medically have been okay. He had to get some teeth replaced, but, you know, these guys are a bit of a different breed. He showed me in D.C. when we were having dinner, he was going to get, he talked about this, I think, on Ariel's show, but he had told me previously the same story, which was he was going to get two fingers removed if he had to. Um, to fight some kind of infection as long as he could keep the knuckle for punching. I mean, Anthony Smith is a different breed. Luckily, it didn't come to that. In any case, I think Anthony Smith is crazy talented, but he also admitted Alexander Rakic, you know, physically is big for the weight class. He's athletic. He's a little bit unpolished and a little bit unrefined, and that cost him against Uzdemir, who Anthony Smith has a win over. But styles make fights, and if Anthony Smith gasses, 
or is not careful against a guy like Rakic who will have five rounds to work and I don't think is going to gas, then he's going to be in a bit of a trouble. So I like the skill differential that Anthony Smith enjoys, BC, but I also think that Rakic, who is, you know, the last fight notwithstanding, still very much the future of the 205-pound division. Yeah, absolutely. And that was as, as nice and soft of a way if you could have said it. And look, we all have the things we love and they're our favorites. I may or may not have an inappropriate relationship with Ioana's Instagram account. But you, Luke Thomas, you love three things in life. City kickboxing, talking to coaches, and for some reason, Anthony Smith. So I'm, I'm going to be uh, you know, much more blunt here, Luke. Uh, sell stock on him. I'm sorry. I think the miles have added up. I, think, I don't think it's his time. Sell stock on him. I think it's going to go in the other direction. I like Rakic big here, and I'm going to be interested to see it play out. Well, I'll be clear about this. I do love those things, but I also like Alexander Rakic. I did a, a big segment on my show on him as well over a year ago. What did you drop there? Did you fall something on, something fall on the ground? Yeah, I dropped my phone. Over there? It's, fi- it's fine, Luke. It's, it's all right. All right. Yeah, be sure to be texting during the show, BC. I only quit my job over this. Uh, all right, we go now to Eris Landi Lara. You reta- did you retain uh, producer credits in the CBS deal, Luke? You That's bet your ass I did. Eris Landi Lara taking on Greg Vendetti. Lara, the Cuban kickboxing sensation who likes to stick and move. Do you like his chances against Mr. Vendetti? Uh, yeah, I like his chances overwhelming. I mean, look, there's the chance that one of these days, Arislandi Laro in his late 30s will show up old, and he's been in in more wars than we've been used to, you know, when you go to the uh, Brian Castaño fight and certainly that incredible fight of the year with Jarrett Hurd. But he's too skilled. This will be a PBC on Fox main event. And if you saw last week's Sean Porter fight against uh, really a, a tough and, and determined German in, in Sebastian Formella, it was one-sided in the end. I think this is more of a showcase opportunity for him to keep busy in this division. And there are some killers at 154 waiting. Uh, this, is, this is one of the best divisions in boxing. PBC's got pretty much everyone who matters in that division under their hood. So we're going to see some really good matchups. Where are you on the Jeff Horn Tim Zhu fight. Do you like this one? Oh my! I love this one. By the way, Look, to be clear, that's a Wednesday fight at 5 a.m. on ESPN Plus, given its location. Yeah, shout out to the Plus for picking this up. It's going to be a uh, you know breakfast at Wimbledon, early morning treat here. Look, I'm sorry, the Jeff Horn story's been too much fun to watch. He's like uh, unintentionally funny in a lot of ways. Luke, the whole Aussie boxing scene is always like you know they got two hot names that doesn't matter the divisions they just jam them together you know we've seen Anthony Mundine the old uh, shapeshifter fight from everywhere it seems from the tiny weight classes to heavyweight uh, this is a big fight down there and it really has the potential to be ugly and one sided look Tim Zhu's a young puncher he's the son of the great Costa Zoo, the hall of famer the, the, the savage knockout puncher but he ain't his poppy, and he's going to be moving up to a high level here against Jeff Horn. And for all we can say about Jeff Horn, the gym teacher turned, you know, unlikely welterweight champion when he upset Manny Pacquiao down under. And by Pacquiao the way, won. go back and rewatch that. Uh, it's not a robbery. I'm sorry. Jeff Horn, like, pa- Pacquiao like a freaking savage, won. and they... And the referee led it, so it, it, it wasn't a robbery. It really wasn't. Go rewatch that fight. Um, Horns, you know, he's hung around, and he, and he can fight as high as middleweight, and he makes fun matches, and yeah, he got stopped against that male dancer, Michael Zarafa, but he came back and won the rematch in savage fashion. It's entertainment. It's fun when you get these Aussie Super Bowl fights, and this is a big one for bragging rights down there, but I think Jeff Horn's going to wallop him, and I can't wait to watch it. All right, last but not least, uh, also on ESPN, I believe this will be on Saturday, ESPN Plus, excuse me, 7.30 p.m., Jose Ramirez, Victor Postal. Ramirez is going to be defending his WBC and WBO Junior welterweight titles. You had this one circled on the list as well, BC. Why? 
Yeah, this one snuck up on me. I didn't realize it was this weekend until this morning. Uh, look, this is one of the best fights of the entire summer that had been scheduled, canceled, rescheduled, and made. Uh, that 140 division is red hot at the moment, and Jose Ramirez has two of the four titles. Yes, we want to see him do the full unification with Josh Taylor, but this has been a mandatory that's been lingering, and we know Victor Postal he stopped Lucas Matisse in the past, went all the way to the 140 title level to fight uh, Terrence Crawford. He is a tough out. He seems to be reborn and refocused. And here's the deal about Jose Ramirez, Luke. Great human, but for him to win these elite fights, which he keeps winning, he's got to go into action and go into war mode. He makes fun-ass fights. Postal stands back tall as a sniper. This is going to be a fun event. It's no guarantee that the champ Ramirez comes out with the two belts here. This is going to be a good one. There you have it. Okay, we'll get to some more fights that have been announced when we do odds and ends. But for now, let's go to the portion of the show where you guys get to ask us questions. It's time for DMs from Donks. There's the old donkey. Okay, BC, let's kind of run through these a little bit here very quickly if we can. From at PDWorld99. Oh, they kind of, we kind of stole their thunder. Does the big announcement mean we don't have to hear Luke say, I have another job anymore? That is exactly well, look, what it means. Uh, did you or did you not text me before the show started? Oh, we got to hurry and we got to get out at this hard time. Yeah, Luke, this is the last week of you pulling this crap on us. I had, okay, the peop- I had somebody email me being like, dude, make more time. And I'm like, that's why the show used to be at 12 and now it's at 11 was so we could make more time. Like, I don't think folks understand if you have a radio show job. You cannot be late. There's no such thing as being late. The show starts at 1. You, it's not like missing a flight. You can just get the next one. you got to be on that one. And you have to sign in, and there has to be a show call ahead of time. There's all kinds of stuff that has to, I can't make any more time than we've made. Here's my question, BC. Are we going to go back to noon? Uh, I don't know. Look, there's a lot of fluid things, you know, still being discussed and talked about. And... Uh, but uh, I don't care when we start. I don't care if it's 9 in the morning. I don't care. You know, it's 5 o'clock somewhere here, Luke. Let's set the time and let's bang, right? Noon isn't, right. Noon isn't really the morning, you see. It is on the West Coast, and we did noon oh, hey, just fine here. before. Yeah, but it's not on, like, the East Coast or Europe or for our Asian fans. Morning combat is just a name, for fuck's sake. Are we going to be literal fine. about this? Fine, be that way. I mean, we spelled combat with a K. I'm sure this is a very serious show. All right. Jay, can you find some gigawatts and get off our screen already, please, here, Jay? All right. Uh, all right. At Ilya. Jay, seven... I, didn't, I didn't mean it. All right. I was, I was, I was, yeah, I didn't mean it. Don't all right. get all. At Ilya745, is it too soon for Ferguson to fight Dustin this year, which Dana White said was probably next? Why isn't there a mandatory suspension for a longer period of time, given the damage he took? There is, BC. It, it, here's how it works. If uh, you and I fought and we both fought and we looked like Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker at the end, probably Dan Hooker would have a longer medical suspension. But let's say they were equal in amount. Let's say six months, blah, 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 no contact. Okay, there's two ways that works. One, you can just let the six months go and then proceed to take a fight afterwards. Or you can go and get a medical checkup prior to the end of that six months. And if the doctor gives you a clean bill of health... In many cases, they will then just take off the rest of that time that's on the suspension. Now, that's not a guarantee, but that is a, let me say this, BC, I'm sure you've heard this, it's a very routine practice. That's why some of those suspensions are like nine months. You don't have to wait nine months if you get a clean bill of health. It's just sort of like a way to say, take some time, figure it out. If you can come back before then and a doctor says you're okay, we're not going to stand in the way. 
Yeah, that's fair. And even, like, let's not remember. Remember that time uh, Michael Bisping lost the uh, middleweight title, the GSP, and then fought uh, uh, Gastelum down in China, like, the next morning and got a doctor to clear him? That was a little bit sketchy. I don't yeah. think this would fall into that category. By the way, did you see Dana? By the way, Dana was... Uh, he was fired up Saturday night after the fight night card. Uh, he was taking shots at our buddy Scott Coker at uh, uh, Oscar's reported cocaine habit. Uh, yeah, nothing. Nothing speaks to a person's character more than mocking another person's addiction. But uh, he was ta- he told he was framing the Corey Anderson exit situation as we both agreed he'd be more competitive over there. I mean, like he was really uh, feeling it, but he did sort of uh, seem to nod his head yes that we're getting Ferguson Poirier. Luke. Um, Seriously, seriously, this is a historic time for the lightweight division. Every single matchup with the elites is is bag o' porn at the at the stag party, if you will. This might be better on paper. I mean, name me the boxing or MMA fights this calendar year that has the potential to be better than that. Holy freaking crap, Luke! Yeah, All right. When you wow. when you think about when you think about what are some of the best non-title MMA fights you can make, right? Because Adesanya versus Costa. I mean, pants are around my ankles. You got city kickboxing, and you got a great fight independent of that. I think we're both probably on the same level. But if you had to say, okay, take out, those, take out either of those considerations, non-title, any weight class, pair them up, what's the best fight you could make? I don't know if Ferguson versus Poirier is number one, but if it's not, it's number two. I mean, we're talking about an all-time amazing non-title yeah. affair between two absolute dogs getting after it and I still think I know it was a bad showing for Ferguson in his last fight there's no denying it but like Frankie Edgar be very very careful about burying this guy too soon I have made that mistake before I did it with Arlovsky I did it with other fighters don't do it just yet Poirier also a guy people wanted to bury not not a not a mistake you want to make I love that fight we should watch that together behind separate pe- plexiglass that only shows us from the waist up, Luke, because that's going to be a, a great fight. I mean, All right. I agree. From at little Cameron with an extra N. What is Covington's strategy, Brian, going into the Woodley fight? Is this a bad matchup for Woodley? And if so, what would this potential loss mean for him going forward? Yeah, this is like, let's be we're always fully honest. He might be cashing himself out of this fight. Yeah, and I say that right. as a Tyron Woodley super fan. I love the guy. I thought his welterweight title reign has gone very much underrated and sort of scoffed at in terms of what he actually accomplished. But I don't think the heart's there anymore to want to do this at this level and empty himself. I think he's willing to win fights if he comes out and he's the front runner and he controls it. I don't think he's willing to empty himself anymore. That's why after the way he lost that last fight to Gilbert Burns, I was like, you know, maybe you should. Maybe you should finish because he accomplished so much. Uh, this is a bad style matchup for him because Covington's strategy should be do exactly to Woodley what Usman did. Just tear at that freaking gas tank and cling to him for all five rounds. Um, this is Woodley's opportunity here in, in a pure grudge match in, in one we've wanted for a long time. If he's got anything left in that tank that he's willing to pour out and try to make one more run, then he's got to come out there and fight his freaking ass off, Luke, because Covington's going to make him do that. Um, but I, I don't I don't have any confidence that he will. And yeah, I hate saying a- that. And that's nothing against his manhood. That's nothing against anything. It's just look at the recent track record. It's a bad style matchup. I mean, he hasn't just lost 10 rounds straight. He's lost them badly. Now, not everyone was a 10-8, but there was a couple of 10-8s mixed in there. 
Um, and he and and the other part about it is people are doing things to him that they didn't do before, like taking him down and holding him down, or um, you know slicing up his face in ways. Like Tyron Woodley was never the guy who would suffer those particular kinds of scenarios and fights. I think this is a bad fight for him, uh, and I would suspect he's going to lose. Now, let me be clear about something. I still think Woodley's got good athleticism, and I think he's got big, big power. There are obviously scenarios where Woodley can, can, uh, can win here. Let's be totally clear about that. But Covington, at this stage in his career, for either of them, is a terrible matchup for Tyron Woodley. He's got volume for days, control positions, riding constantly on you. I actually think Covington has a pretty good chin, which we saw against Kamar Usman as well. So, you know, Woodley, this is a winnable fight for him, but it's not very winnable. This is much more a chance for Covington, I think, to uh, push Woodley for sure outside the top five and maybe into retirement altogether. It's not, it's not a great fight for him. I don't like it. I understand why he took it. To me, it feels like a, a go big or a go home moment, and that's the kind of competitor that Tyron Woodley is. But from the outside looking in, I think it's a mistake. Um, at Terrence underscore Croonin. Brian, who is the... Hi- let, me, let me answer this one. Who is the highest ranked fighter at the moment that Kamzat Chemaev could beat in his next fight hypothetically? And do you think he will be champion by the end of 2021? Can we please pump the brakes? Even I... Yeah, we got to pump the brakes. Jesus please. Christ. I did a dissected on this guy because I thought what he did at Fight Island was special. How could you not say it was special? Ten days, two weight classes, two opponents could land one punch on him. Okay. But the guys who were he was fighting, they're talented, but they are far from the elite of either weight class that he was in. It is not a fair representation of what he will face when he goes up the food chain. How, how will he do against those guys? I have no idea. So I'm not declaring to you he doesn't have title futures in his days ahead. I don't know that he does or that he doesn't because we simply do not have enough information to make a call other than to say he's young, he's exciting, he's got a great game, he's talented and aggressive. He probably can go far, but these are just generalities until the specifics get filled in. There is way too much hype around him too early. John Jones had hype around him early because he was beating established guys who were fairly high level at the time. Andre Guzmao, Stefan Bonner, Jake O'Brien, and he was, they weren't even close. That is totally different than what Kamzat Shemaev has done to this point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to find out all these answers, okay? Uh, have him fight Gunnar Nelson tomorrow. Remember that name? Uh, I mean, come on. Put him in there Put him in there with some live bodies. I can no longer do this because, Luke, you know me. I get, I'm a sucker to flashy packaging. You can take uh, a product that I don't even like and put it in, like, bright orange wrapping paper, and I'll buy it. I'll, I don't care. You know, you don't have to write new flavor on it. I just bought a bright orange car, Luke, okay? I, I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for that, okay? I thought Maria Agapova was going to be your next uh, champion. Uh, the, you got to find out what's in the, what's in the tank and, and the backbone and the adjustments and all of those things. I like the spirit of the question, though. Uh, style-wise, it seems like he's going to be able to take a lot of people down and, and attempt to smash them, at least, but... Uh, you know, a lot, many have gassed in attempting to do that, Luke. Many. All right. And last but not least, Brian, from at Kevin underscore Michael underscore Kelly, what is your favorite work of literature? Work? Is this what we're doing here? Work? Does that mean that means book, right, Luke? I, uh, not necessarily. It could be a play, right? Shakespeare? Uh, I'm really not all that cultured, Luke. You don't have a favorite book you've read? It's fiction? Big, big uh, old school Great Gatsby fan. Uh, uh, all right, that's fine. That's good. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, oh, okay. You know, I'd be like, I mean, I like, yeah, I like the, 
notice I'm going to name all mandated junior and senior high school uh, <laughs> book readings. Like, hey, yeah. Catcher in the Rye was great. But no, Luke, we've had this discussion before, and I don't think it's impossible to, to gauge that by knowing my personality that I'm not an avid reader. I try to be, but I would say, you know, 80% of the books I've read as an adult have been uh, athlete and celebrity biographies. Does that make me a bad person, Luke? Okay. I read like 500 words on Vince Lombardi. It was a great book, all right? I, I love that book on, on Jordan's failed run in 500 the words? Wizards. 500 words is like an essay. Oh, sorry. Maybe 5 million. I don't know. I'm, whatever. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not well educated. I'm a yeah, I mean, for me, if you look there. at the books behind me, the overwhelming majority of them are nonfiction. I'm like you. I don't read a lot of fiction. Um, I have nothing against it, but... Um, uh, I just I feel like to me the uh, to me the natural world we live in is so fascinating and I want to understand it and which isn't to say you can't find it that way through fiction but I prefer the nonfiction mode of trying to understand the world in which we live that to me is very very entertaining. Um, I'm not really trying about, to understand much, Luke. You know, I, I like self help books. You know, I like to improve myself, but that's about a lot it, of that right? is just junk science, and I think you know that. Um, in terms of well, look, what, yeah, but sometimes junk science is is the the piece of meat you need to chew on to get through the day, Luke. Okay. I've chewed on I've chewed on a few. You know, as a day drinker, I can't hate on that. I think that's true. For works of literature, I'm going to go with book Sound and the Fury, William Faulkner. And if I had to pick a favorite, uh, like, do you have a favorite Shakespeare play, BC? Uh, yeah, it was a big uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, the, the the guy with the guy. Uh, uh, yeah, Shylock. He was trying to take people's flesh and trying to get their his money back. Merchant of Venice. It was you know it was it was uh, it was a gripping portrayal of uh, yeah. It was shocker! Mandated, shocker that the guy who has weird banking conspiracy theories. The first character he goes to is Shylock. Okay, um, I'll say this for me uh, for movie. We went over this with the Japanese one which is that uh, Akira Kurosawa's Rand, which is based on King Lear. Um, also, Othello is a great play, and um, I will go with that. Timmy of the Shrew is pretty good. Who was the guy the who couldn't time. make decisions, Luke? That guy. Say again? Who was the Shakespearean character who had trouble making decisions? Um, I'm not sure who you're referring to. I've, I've read that book, too, and I saw the movies, and it was good. Luke, uh, Jay, can you chime in here? What's the guy's name? What the frick is that guy's name? Okay. Who had trouble making decisions? I mean, yeah, Jay, I'm, uh, I'm with you. I, I haven't read much since high school. These are who I'm surrounded by. We boobs and, and boxers on the show, and now we're getting into Shakespeare. All right, well, speak yeah. of that, speaking of that transition, BC, it is time where we look at boobs and boxers. Uh, take it away, <laughs> my friend. Yeah, that's what we do on this show. Uh, what we do is we, we scour the globe for the highs and lows the in-between, the good, bad, and the ugly, and combat sports and beyond. Uh, hopefully, I, I think I could find that play. I know you have another job, Luke. Um, I do have another right, job. Maybe not. Maybe not. Um, For this week. It's not. Yeah, Macbeth, I don't know. Whatever. I mean, do I care? I don't care. You know what I care about, Luke? Fun videos, okay? Let's do it. It's Have You Seen This Shit. Let's start it off from over the weekend, Luke. Huge upset in UFC 7 Vegas fight night. How about Shauna Dobson? She was the same level of a betting underdog against Maria Agapova that Holly Holm was against Ronda Rousey. And Luke, no way. this was a freaking disastrous performance from the Kazakh slugger here in Agapova. Yeah, you know what? She, uh, Dobson from Washington, D.C., so shouts to her. She was 3-4 and four heading into this contest. She evened it up. Dude, Agapova has talent, but she fights just like, like there's a contest where if you don't end it within the first 60 seconds, you lose all your money. So she has no pace uh, that is sustainable at all. 
I'm nervous here from her because when she came out with those two uh, UFC victories right away, I mean, she was spectacular and exciting. And she was like, you know, Joanna on steroids, basically, in some ways. Uh, I thought she almost emptied the tank dancing during the introductions, and I was getting some Michelle Padeda vibes. And then to see her just fight so for broke and just go for it, you can't sustain that. I'm sure she thought she was getting an easy knockout. She was like, what, like plus 650 or, or I'm sorry, minus uh Minus 650, minus 8, something ridiculous here as the biggest uh, betting favorite on the card. But, um, you know, this is why they, they, they have the fights, Luke. You know, hopefully she can bounce back from this because Just a quick, Luke, quick, she wasn't even... Hold on. Quick reminder about the Kamzat Shemaev conversation. There's a rule that all fans should remember about UFC. Doesn't matter who you are. Eventually, someone in this organization is going to put it on you. And when they do, how do you respond? We saw how Agapova responded. It's going to happen to Chimaev. We've not seen how he responds to that, so it makes it a big unknown. Well, Luke, I wanted to almost say that Stipe didn't win this fight. Do you say he lost it? Because, uh, you know, Shauna Dobson, credit for winning it, but, dude, Agapova, like, fell apart. Like, she just emptied, like, the gas tank was leaking all over the floor there. I've never seen someone uh, lose because of stamina that disastrously we've seen people fade fall apart fall to the ground get choked out luke she was done she was just done i mean like that that's a tough loss luke yeah but dobson hung on didn't get overwhelmed took it to the ground when she needed to and was able to score sweeps and reversals that made a big difference yeah, yeah, shout out to that. Uh, let's roll on here. Alexander Povetkin, as we mentioned, with that giant knockout. Did you see the hero's welcome? He got back in his Russian hometown. Luke, one day when I arrive somewhere, I want this. Look at this cape they're putting on him. Do they do this, this in Colombia? Is this going to be my first day at CBS? Yes. <laughs> Sir, here's your producer credits. Thank you for joining us. Yes, all right. Uh, yeah, dude, he couldn't even get off the subway before they were putting that on him. Oh, my gosh. There's a full old school like uh, event going on here. This is great. He looks like the Dark Lord or something right there. What is he wearing? I don't know. Senator Palpatine, though, has to get to the uh, the meetings, I guess. <laughs> He's got to get to the Senate briefing with. Uh, remember when they made Jar Jar a damn, you know, political member? Come on. I know. Right? I know. The Gungans. Right? I mean, the Gungans could not have been exterminated quicker. They live under the water in, like, the secret area. I mean, Well, let's dump all of our trash in the water then because oh. they need to go. Yeah, thank you. All right, hey, let's roll on. How You wanted just a vicious and random kickboxing KO from over the weekend? Luke, have that. Oh. Wow. I don't even oh. know their names. Bakam. Oh, he did the testifying, too. Yeah, he did. I, they the they Holy folded Ghost him up, up in, in a suitcase. Bitch. Yeah. Oh, man. That is Jesus. just, yep. Just I think it got him from underneath. Out. That's, Ooh, one, of those, that's, that's one of those losses where, like, the kick to the face is obviously terrible and the thing that caused all the problems. But if you actually, I bet later on, like, he busted his head open, splitting it on his knee. Like, the, the worst damage came from that, you know? It's like Arona. Arona, um, uh, or no, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, Rampage had that cut when he slammed Arona. And it was because Arona's head bounced off the canvas and slammed back into his so his face was all bloody when he stood up, but it wasn't from anything else. It was just from Arona going limp. Yikes. All right. Hey, it's going to be hard to keep WebScream off this show. I just want to tell you, Luke, he has built up a bullpen of just content for us. You saw his great movie posters before inv- invoking Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger with Junior. Hey, how about twins? You want some twins from Christos Christophoros? Let's hit it, Jay. Uh, this guy's on fire, Luke. I'm sorry, you know? Corey Combat. <laughs> Only the hardcores oh, can tell them apart. That is so good. 
Oh, that is so good. That's the uh, that's the movie Twins, basically uh, for folks who are uh, not uh, old and ancient and saggy bald like me and Brian. Why do I get to be? Uh, yeah, why do I have to be Danny DeVito? That's great. All right, hey, hey, uh, this is not the only fan artwork from this week. A guy named Scott Marshall. He's an artist on Instagram at Onya Barry. I don't know what the hell that means. This was last year. Someone shouted it out to me. Check out this little piece of artwork invoking what would happen if you and I in the bar <laughs> got into a little scuffle. Uh, yeah. I like, how, I like how they lightened up uh, Francis and uh, uh, Overeem for us. <laughs> yeah. Is, is, there, awesome. is, this a, is this white face or white chest? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know this about is white that, washing. Though. I don't know what this white is. Washing. It, All right. It's, it's, uh, you know. uh, f- yeah, I guess that's how he thinks a fight between us would go, Luke. But that's obviously not full disclosure. This one might be more like it of how a fight between you and I would go because that's slaptastic, Luke. Check these guys out. What are they doing? I get to be the guy in the green shorts. I'll tell you that much. I like his movement. I like his rhythm. Oh, yeah. Slap that shit, Luke. So they can slap each other? I hope this is how this country settles like local grievances. Yo, have you seen that uh, tradition in like parts of Peru, or maybe Bolivia, but I think it's Peru, where like once a year, if you have a grievance with somebody, you can fight them in the town square, and That's then incredible. like all the all the beef is squashed after that. Have you seen that? I forget what it's called, but it's got this whole religious sort of overtone to it. That's the way to do it, man. I'm not saying you should Look, bring back you- duels, but open hand slapping, you'll be all right, you know. Luke, I'll slap the shit out of you. Okay, that limits your abilities to win a fight against me. If we're going just straight slaps, all right. Stockton slap in the middle of a, of a fist fight? Uh, well, 209 your ass, okay? Thank you. Hey, let's roll on here. Uh, spring break, it's drunk chick hour, Luke. What is this called? I used to do this drill in youth football, but do they do this with uh, bikini chicks on the beach? What's going on here? I did this in youth football, too. The, the, the trick is you got to be the first. We, we saw this with the dude who challenged his dad. Remember that? Yes, yes. And the trick is, look here, big country gets up first. Bah! Look oh, at the then, celebration. Luke, I want to do one thing in my life where people are willing to celebrate this hard and aggressively in response to it. You? Is, is this going to be my first day at CBS? We do this to each other? I, I think that was you on Twitter <laughs> last night, Luke. I've never seen people like love you so much. That's yeah, amazing, I know. I was know? very surprised. I was like, couldn't believe it. You know, I've never had, I've never had a, a crowd cheer for me like this either. But look, that's a hell of a shot, dude. She actually forces a fumble here, no less. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, sign her up here. She could play DN. That's incredible. All right, let's roll on here, Luke. Check out this uh, beer pong teamwork here. Uh, is this merely friendly work between gentlemen, or, or is there some backroom benefits going on? Would you do this with members of the show Malka staff who put the show together? So in a pre-COVID world, when I was in a fraternity and we played beer pong, you know, I've done horrendous things like this that are totally the transmission of communicable diseases. I cannot hate on these gentlemen. In a post-COVID era, this is, you know, you know, these aren't the smartest people in the world. But I mean, is that impressive? I don't know. It's, it's hard to argue about germs when we came up through a society where you're, you're passing the duchy to the left side to a lot of people in a crowded room, Luke. This is just I one mean, of those that, ideas you know, that drunk white guys get that they think is like, you know, it's like, well, as long as we're not gay, we can totally do this. Meanwhile, this is just like kissing the other guy, basically. You know what I mean? That's why tip to tip is not only COVID conscious, it's, it's, you know, you know what I'm saying? You can do that with a, we can do that, you know, like I said, Trojan, 
You know, protect yourself at all times, BCs. I'm wearing three condoms right now, just so that's clear. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Luke, let's go on. This week in bad parenting, uh, shout out to that state, Texas forever here. It was grandpa's turn to drive the kids around, Luke. Could, I mean, this was, this was standard issue for like 1984. I don't know if you remember being that young, Luke, but you can't yes. do this nowadays. I remember, I remember riding in the back of a pickup truck, not thinking twice about it. And then years later, as an adult, everyone's like, dude, you can't do that. And I'm like, I legitimately did not know it was illegal. I had no clue. <laughs> this is, yeah. I, bet, I bet those kids are like, dude, grandpa is the best. Oh, it's the best. That is great. Wow. Yeah. I mean, look, growing up, seriously, I tell my kids this all the time. They don't believe me. My grandparents would pull all the seats out of their van and we'd just get to run wild back there. We'd wrestle. We'd, we'd watch, you know, we'd do everything. I mean, uh, yeah, you can't you can't do that nowadays. That All right, awesome. let's let's keep the train moving here. Um, uh, hey, hey, Luke, uh, sleep down in the fire. This was supposed to be some X Games shit, Luke, but uh, yeah, look at that. That's I mean, that's what you get, Luke. Okay, that's not a proper setup. <laughs> you know what, Mister Netgator here didn't quite have enough speed built up, did he? <laughs> I mean, look, that's I I don't see how that ends anyway. Also, but, uh, cr- also crispy and charred. Also, why is his launch ramp a U-Haul cardboard box? <laughs> uh, they may have planned this, Luke. We have to be honest about that. Who knows here? All dude, right. another, hey, this- dude, drunk, drunk white guys uh, endlessly entertaining for their cell phones. Uh, Luke, shout out to that great website, show.store.com, where you can wear the ultra-comfortable MK gear, and our people are wearing it. Look at this guy, Peter Reynaga, at underscore Ray24 on Instagram, looking good there in the uh, morning combat winter hat. What is the shirt he's wearing? Is that Luca? Could be. It looks like someone with swollen balls. What is that? I don't know, but uh, he's COVID conscious, so he's, he's, he's acceptable in the Thomas house, and he looks good in the dead of summer in that winter cap. Uh, let's roll. Aaron Gordon, Jay, is saying on the T-shirt uh-huh. there, the Orlando Magic Guard, maybe? I don't know. I don't, I don't really know anymore. Macbeth? Uh, Shakespeare? I don't know. All sure. right. Hey, shout out to uh, at Bill and Jen's RV Adventure on Instagram. They went on vacation in Lake Tahoe, and check out Bill wearing wow. the very comfy green T-shirt right there. Love it. Look at this old bastard, cool yeah. as a cucumber. Look at the you know, scene I'm, where he's at too. You know, his wife's like, "What? Why are you? What is that? What is that show? What is it?" He's like, "No, I, I come here for the uh, MMA breakdowns. Really, he comes for the dick jokes." So, shout out to Bill there, R- real big fan of him. Thank you very much. That's here. great. Yeah. Also, uh, we got a, a, a listener named Mike Booble of Oregon at MT Booble on Twitter. He went down to Heseta Beach in his uh, native state and went distance tip-on-tip there in the MK sweatshirt. Shout out. That is great. Look at this. Oh, by the way, that is that amazing. Where, by the way, where is Heseta Beach? Uh, I think it's in Oregon. I didn't do much research on it. But uh, that sweatshirt, incredibly comfortable. Cannot get it back for my wife. She stole it. Okay? It is what it is. Yeah, I've not put mine on yet, but I'm looking forward for the weather to turn. That is fantastic. Yep, yep. Thank you, by the way, uh, Mike Booble, for keeping the tip-on-tip tradition alive. And, Luke, we started something here, right, with those, with those Slovakian kickboxers. We didn't know what we started, but it's taken off like wildfire. It's gone Hollywood. Have you seen actor Shia LaBeouf's IG lately, Luke? Look at this. This looks like a senior picture glamour shot in an alley going full-on tip-on-tip. His new movie sucks. Did you see it? Which one is that? Tax Collector have not seen it no 
No. You've missed nothing. Actually, I don't think I've seen any of his stuff since even Steven, so who am I to talk? I did see uh, Arkansas on uh, Prime. Did you watch that? No, is it good? Vince Vaughn, yeah, about the drug trade, yeah. It was, it was good. It was very good, very good. I think you should watch that. Okay, let's keep it going here. Uh, check out these bros windmilling on each other, tip-on-tip tip style. Luke, I'll ask you again. Oh, sorry, Oscar Mayer first, latest commercial on hot dogs. Luke, they must be watching this show. Can we get this sponsored? You know what, though? But they didn't quite tip it. They more like, they're more like toasting. I don't know. They're, they're, it's, it's close. It's close on there. We'll have to analyze this. By the way, this is the weirdest you. bit that we do. You know, the touching dicks bit. I don't know how I feel about it even to this day, but I quit my other job, so what are you going to do? Yeah, it's too late, Luke. You're, you're in too deep, okay? And, and when you got people out here sending us these videos, check out these two grown men windmilling on each other, Luke, I think is what they call it. Uh, there's some tip-on-tip tip touching here, so I have to ask you, just like the, the, the ping-pong bit there on the beer pong, is this just uh, two male friends getting down, or is there some benefits here? Are they fighting or just fat? I mean, fucking fighting, it's all the same, Luke, right? Uh. I, I, can't, I, can't, uh, I can't get down on this, Luke, all right? Living the oh, Louie Dog's the only way to stay that sane. That is, here. that is, yeah, that's great. That that's is great. certainly right. something. There's, some, there's many uh, poorly lit bars in middle America for a reason, Luke, okay? Shout out to Omaha. Thank you. Uh, rolling on here, Luke. I, look, we know how much we both love the Shevchenko sisters, uh, people flood my my DMs with pictures of them. There's now people who have full channels dedicated to them. Have you been on at UFC Sisters KG lately, Luke? All mm-hmm. it is is Shevchenko sister art. And uh, what do you think about this of the sisters as uh, old school 1920s gangsters? You, you got any movement? Well, it's a, so it's like a Bonnie and Bonnie more than like a Bonnie and Clyde kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I think I think Antonina's playing Clyde fairly well there. Yeah. Eh, to me, it's. I like what uh, Valentina's got rocking there with the uh, Tommy gun, uh, but I don't know about the rest of it. Old um, car's nice. Okay, okay. Uh, do you have a favorite between the two, Luke? Because let's be honest, you love Valentina, fiery South American women, and although they're Kyrgyzstan, they are accepted as full-on citizens in Peru. I know. So, and and but Valentina's the dancing champion, so I'm going to go with her. Okay, all right. I, I, I switch by the day. I won't show you any other m- pictures on there, Luke, because they get a little bit racy. But I do have live reaction video of everyone who watches this show as they pause this to jump on the uh, UFC Sisters account. Can we throw to that, please, Jay? Uh, this will also be my first day at CBS, I'm guessing. Thank you, <laughs> and your last. All right. Uh, Jay, we are, uh, Luke, we talked about web, web screen before. He pointed this picture out to me. Did you see uh, Democratic National Convention producer and director Glenn Weiss, the Emmy Award winner? <laughs> I did see, I the did ent- see this. this. Running dude, the entire show. Yes, this dude ran the DNC from this plastic table in his living room. Um, actually, a no. pretty good job. Notice shorts and no socks. And what WebScream sent to me was that this is essentially Jay's dream peak form. Jay, how similar is your aircraft carrier to this? Look at Jay's very similar ass feet as he dries his balls on the heat of the. Uh, the very similar. Are you wearing light. pants by any chance, Jay? Yeah, uh, I am. I am indeed. I am wearing. Bad. But hey, look, but we're basically the same because you know your hire at CBS was, was in some ways facilitated by Jay's great work in taking MK, you know, pandemic uh, in our house and keeping the quality the same. 
Uh, do you think Jay could pull off the DNC? Or, or were they inspired? Was Glenn Weiss inspired by Jason Aaron? That sounds more could about right. Jay, pull, Jay can't even pull off sending us audio that we can hear other than his voice, which that to me does not fair. feel coincidental. That is very fair. Well, yeah. I have more hair than that guy, but other than that, it's about the same. Well, it's hey, true. back to web screen for a second, Luke. Uh, you remember this album cover, right? How seminal in your life was this little piece of business right that's, here? That's, that, is the, that was one of the most important musical albums of my life. I, uh, Vulgar Display of Power, 92, is just, uh, you know, beyond, beyond compare. Well, our friend WebScream wanted to put a little bit of an MK twist on that to celebrate your, uh, your hiring this week. And, uh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Dude, how has Showtime not hired this guy yet? What are we doing? I, look, he's making a strong case. He's either, he's either going to get hired or, or you're going to end up in a tub uh, in an empty apartment missing a key uh, organ like a liver. And you know what's you funny? Know, one of those two are going to happen. You know what's funny? We, before the pandemic hit, we actually did a photo shoot in studio, and this is actually, that is my fist. That is a real photo we took. I don't think we meant to use it for any kind of Pantera-related photoshopping, but I'll be damned, it works quite well. It really does. Uh, let's close with this, uh, Luke. We've long had a saying on this show and any podcast I'm a part of that uh, you just don't tease the bag or you're going to get the mess. Luke, um, check out this adult male. I'm not sure if you've had dates end like this, Luke, in your life, but uh, that's got to hurt. That's, uh, yeah. Why are welcome you the way you are? Welcome to CBS, Luke. Great to have you, okay? <laughs> it's like, well, on this note of champagne bukkake, uh, welcome to the company, Luke. Oh, okay, great. Well, I did want to celebrate with a drink, Luke. I can't, I can't you know, raise my Kevin Nash koozie to you and, and tap it in real time. So, uh, yeah, all right. Shout Very out good. to Luke. Welcome. Have you seen any of that shit? Yes. All right, all go right, send dick right. pics to uh, BC's Instagram. Uh, with that in mind, BC... We'll, ra we'll wrap things up here. Time for odds and ends. What do you got for us on the odds and ends? Uh, quickly, last Saturday on Top Rank Boxing on ESPN, shout out to Joe Smith Jr. with a big-time light heavyweight win. Luke, he went in there against Elider Alvarez, the Storm, if you remember, the guy that sent so Sergey Kovalev to hell with one punch and then lost that rematch. He was the former sort of it champion at 175. If you don't know Joe Smith Jr., yeah, he's the guy who sent old Bernard Hopkins through the ropes that time, but he's, like, still employed full-time in, like, manual labor and moonlighting as a light heavyweight. He made fun fights. He lost when he stepped up. But, Luke, this is a guy who's, I think, finally taken the sport seriously. And he went in there against a legit guy and outboxed the hell out of him and stopped him late. An eye-opening performance. I think you 100% have to add Joe Smith Jr.'s name as a legitimate title contender at 175. It took a few losses. It took many a long day at the, at the, at the uh, stockyard. But he's here, Luke. He's here to stay. So, big win right there. Also, I did want to... Uh, Oh, shout out that big signing for the PBC. I don't know if you saw this, Luke. You know Rougarou, right? Regis Progre? Yeah, he's by the, way, at by, by the way, who, train, who uh, is friends with Jose Aldo. His wife is Brazilian and loves MMA, trains in the gi in his free time. You want to talk about a boxer who is not a hater on MMA, Regis Progre is your guy.
Yeah, go watch his uh, his absolute war for 12 rounds with Josh Taylor for those 140 titles last year. A great fighter, was a promotional free agent, left Lou DiBella. He was circulating. Uh, he fought on DAZN a few times, fought on ESPN. Well, he just got hooked up with PBC, and we're going to see him, Luke, October 24th against Juan Araldez on the undercard of that Gervonta Take Davis, Leo Santa Cruz pay-per-view, Showtime pay-per-view. And you want to talk about the matchups that can be made, not just at 140, but should he move up to what we call the money division there at 147 he's a uh, fight of the year contender waiting to happen every time out he gets in your face aggressive style managed by some hollywood elites like uh who peter berg marky mark uh and and at least at least one member of the funky bunch so uh big signing there can't wait to see him so that's great uh we should note there was a bunch of fights that were announced last week on the mma side of things uriah hall fighting anderson silva which i don't fully understand why they made that fight but okay neither here nor there I could go on and on, but the one that I want to focus in on was Amanda Nunes is going to be back against uh, Megan Anderson at 145 pounds. Now, UFC, I think Dana White said at the post-fight press conference on Saturday, they are going to stock up 145 a little bit more than they have been. So that means that you know she'll have more to do than uh, or Amanda, presumably if she wins. She'll have more to do than just sort of once a year or whenever they can just find someone. Folks were like, oh, this is a lamb being led to the slaughter. And certainly I would not really argue with that. I don't think it's fair to, to say that this is a very, very competitive fight. I mean, no disrespect to Megan, but we're talking about the GOAT here and the individual style matchups also aren't all that awesome for her. But here's the problem that I think folks need to, or at least the, here's the reality I should say folks should accept, which is, listen, they didn't throw her right into a title fight, Megan Anderson. They let her get a few fights into the UFC, and some of those didn't go the way they were supposed to, but... She is coming off of a win. Felicia Spencer already took, had her shot and lost. They've waited long enough for her to mature into this opportunity. There's no one else really ahead of her. Under more normal circumstances, this is the way they would have gone anyway. And by the way, if you're a champion, you have a responsibility to defend your title. So if she wants to do the whole 135-145 thing, this was an inevitability. UFC has waited long enough. I don't find it necessarily all that competitive, but BC, stranger things have happened. So... Probably Amanda Nunes wins walking away, but okay. It's the perfect matchup. Who else is she going to fight? And I have to say this, like, that's a fun style matchup. A a fighter who's that tall and long can do some things on the ground. In no world would we favor her to win, but I don't think this is... uh, I mean, this ain't like when, you know, Shevchenko fought I and Chukagian. You're like, you know, I can't even find a path to victory um it's interesting i do want to ask you as a spinoff to Hold this real, I know real you're quickly in a real quickly uh, real quickly i just I, i'll leave it on this one which is remember amanda nunez knocked out ronda rousey in you know short order and cyborg in less than a minute and holly holman under a round can megan anderson do that probably that and, and more so the idea that she's going to take a beating worse than any of those other ones i mean i don't i don't really find that to be true no i don't either but do you think it's time uh, for the UFC, given that Amanda Nunes has teased the idea of retirement before, given that her first child is about to be born with Nina, uh, to just say, hey, look, give up the 135 title. Stay at featherweight. You you can take long gaps as we take time to build up viable contenders to you. Um, you know, and if we ever get a big enough 135 as champion, you certainly can fight them. Wouldn't this allow, like, potentially the Aspen lad types at 35 who are chomping at the bit to kind of make a name for themselves. I mean, look, I know if this happens, they're going to throw Holly Holm back in that title picture as soon, as quick as freaking possible. But it might be that time, Luke. Why hold that division hostage if someone's going to be busy and there isn't names anyway? So here, here is where I'm with you on that halfway. 
I think we're getting to that point, and I think that is an inevitability. I just don't think we're there yet. Number one, as I mentioned, they do need to kind of stock up 145 before they ask her to just leave because at a bare minimum, she may find herself winning this one quickly. The camp was fine, and she's ready to turn around and do it again very soon. I, I doubt that with the kid on the way, but one certainly never knows. To your other point there, it's not like there's like a, a, a clear number one, number two contender. They got some things to sort out there as well. So my thought is in six months, we probably will be there. But for this moment, not necessarily a thing we have to rush. But I think you're probably right on, on balance. Last point of the show, Luke. Did you like that Bellator doubleheader announcement for September 11th and 12th? I believe it is uh, uh, the, the vacant Bantamweight title bout will be the Saturday night main event with uh, Patchy Mix against Juan Archuleta. And yep. uh, what was the uh, the rematch? Phil Davis against who? Uh, Machida? Leota Machida. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's the and other al- one. Also, uh, John Fitch, Neiman Gracie, and I think Zingano and uh, Liz Carmouche will make their Bellator debuts. Yeah, so there's a lot going on there for Bellator. Really like that for them. That Archuleta-Patchy mix fight, I got to tell you, that's another one where Archuleta, tons of experience, um, hard to defeat, very well-rounded, hard to hurt. Patchy Mix doesn't have that, but what he does have is he is an absolute finisher, a very, very talented guy out of Jackson Wink. Um, great guy at taking the back, great striking, hard hitter. So it's like this guy who's got all these finishing tools with all this guy who's got, um, you know, the, the sort of the way to manage around and, and, and do well against elite opposition. It's a phenomenal matchup. Sad that Kyoji Horiguchi can't be here to defend it, but we all know the story there. So I love that fight for, for uh, Bellator as well. Um, okay. Last but not least, I didn't mention the top of the show because we kind of got carried away. Uh, well, I always have to thank Showtime here. If you would like to try Showtime, you may do so. Go to Showtime.com. You can get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can bounce. Please give this video a thumbs up. Subscribe to this channel because, folks, we've been teasing it forever, but you now see that there is something we were absolutely being serious about. Um, please, yeah, if you subscribe one, now. One more time. I wanted to raise the the glass to you, Luke, and uh, ra- raise it and just just tap you. This is a big moment, okay? And Luke, uh, these are days to remember, right here, right? Never before, never since. Um, a lot of years, a lot of years grinding, Luke, taking that 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 stick and banging it against the tree. All right, you've penetrated. So uh, let's do this. Big things coming to CBS Sports, Showtime, all that. Uh, MK all day, most days, a lot of days. MK to the ultra, okay? And, uh, hey, look, CBS Sports HQ just acquired a uh, pretty talented combat analyst as well. So, Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, I just want to be clear about something. I mean, yesterday I had to announce it because I am the one making the most amount of change. But the reality is, BC, this is our announcement. This is our future. This is our project. This is just as much about you as it is about me. Granted, yeah, I, I made the switch. But now it's just about what we are doing together and what we are going to do with this audience and so for that i am just unbelievably grateful um i'm glad that we got a chance to make this happen and work together because it's been just one of the most rewarding projects i've ever been a part of and i made the switch for a reason bc because i am i am betting on it to win and i think we will uh, all in due time of course as we mentioned things are going to roll out slowly we're not going to just jump into anything you know we're going to build towards something uh sustainable and likable and you know different and cool so yeah, uh, so that to all, all kicks all you off viewers, next week. 
Come on over to the morning combat side, all right? You don't want to see producers dancing in the video. Oh, Jay's always getting in our videos. My bad. Uh, but come on over to the morning combat side, okay? Tried to sugar night them, Luke, but... Uh, there you have it. And follow us, by the way, on social media. You can see the uh, Twitter stuff there and as well as the Instagram, Instagram and YouTube, obviously, for morning combat. All right, BC, I've got to get to my other job. For the very last time, I have another job I have to get to. You'll never hear me say that again, probably. Probably, right? Probably. Forever, I suspect. So uh, until then, everyone, thank you so much for watching. Um, for BC, for Malka, for Showtime, for CBS, that's Brian Campbell. I'm Luke Thomas. May all of your gains be loyal.